Let me ask, were any of the fellows at the men's Elim conference earlier in the year? Many of you came back and shared what an inspiration uh, Squanny was as he shared his story to you guys in that conference. And uh, I would encourage us this morning to give a good welcome to Swanee and his lovely wife, Rachel, as they join us this morning. We are privileged and blessed to have you both with us. And... uh, just speaking to Swanee before the meeting, can see the passion rise in his heart. Passionate evangelist based at um, uh, Beacon uh, Christian Center there in Loughborough. I know that Swanee's worked in, in prisons and schools and other churches and spoken and uh, involved in your local community. And we're really excited and blessed to be able to come together this morning and hear that story that you're going to share with us. So can we please put our hands together for Swanee as he comes and shares with each of us. Praise the Lord, eh? Uh, before I start, I've, uh, I, just, I was talking to a lad last night who I was mentoring who came to me about a, a year ago. He was uh, completely yellow. He'd just come out of uh, hospital. The hospital said they couldn't do no more for him because his liver was so poisoned with the alcohol. Uh, they'd syringed his liver. Terrible, terrible condition he was in. And uh, they, he was asked to come and see me and said that I might be able to help him. I told him I couldn't help him because I was in the same situation as him, but I know a God who can. He said he didn't really want that, uh, but cut a long story short, short. Now he's writing poetry. He is born again. He's completely healed, and he's, uh, he's living, living free. One of the poetry he wrote for me, uh, and uh, I told him I was going to read it today because I was going to come and share God's glory, God's freedom and the anointing God's got, and that's to heal the brokenhearted and set the captures free. So it goes like this. It says, If Jesus didn't save me, how come I'm still here? If Jesus didn't save me, then who took away my fear? If Jesus didn't save me, how have I changed who I am? If Jesus didn't save me, where did I find my purpose as a man? If Jesus didn't save me, how come I speak his word? If Jesus didn't save me, how come I believe in all I've heard? If Jesus didn't save me, where have all my pains gone? If Jesus didn't save me, why then is my faith in him so strong? If Jesus didn't save me, how have all my problems come to seize? If Jesus didn't save me, then he granted me this peace. I know that Jesus saved me because I prayed and he helped me through. So pray to Jesus, my Saviour, and he shall save you too. Amen. That's inspiring, isn't it? Some kid who was abused as a child and uh, was glue-sniffing at the age of 11 and taking Class A drugs at the age of 13 to write in poetry for the Lord. Come on. Only Jesus can do that, eh? I'm here today to share... uh, um, a little bit of my journey, I will share a little bit because it's praising God, but I've got a message for you all and I will bring it into my story, uh, but I will bring the word of God in obviously because uh, it's the word of God, that's the weapon, isn't it? The Bible says he gives us a new weapon, it's not fist and it's not guns and knives and this horrible thing here, this tongue that shoots terrible weapons at people, but he gives us a new weapon and it's his word. Amen. And we must need that word. We must have that word put on our hearts. So at times of trouble, we, uh, the Holy Spirit can come and, and uh, wheel that sword, uh, which is the word of God. And, uh, and it pierces through things that uh, the devil tries to get us to believe, which is called strongholds of the mind. 
First thing I want to say is uh, happy Father's Day. <laughs> happy Father's Day. Uh, I've been blessed to preach in many Father's Days. And do you know that word Father? Sometimes it's not very joyful. Sometimes that word things brings much pain. I hang around with lots of people who, uh, that word Father's broken them, broken their lives. It kills them because they never had a father who loved them. Or ever told them, I was proud of your son. Most people in here, the Bible actually says that every man is searching for unfailing love. So, when we hear that word father, it, it's, it's devastating. It's destroying. It breaks us more and more and more. It breaks our hearts, the Bible says. Some people are, are fathers. And they've not got a message from their son today because their son's the prodigal one. And he's not put happy Father's Day, Dad, love you That breaks their hearts. And then other fathers have passed away and they're missing them on this day. They can't go for a pint with them or they can't say, Happy Father's Day, Dad. I know I'm bringing a bit of loom and gloom, but that's a fallen world. This brings an odd art to every soul. An odd art. When we get an odd art, we build barriers, and they're called prison, prison without bars. The Bible calls them strongholds of the mind. But the Bible does say, and I've just said it, he's got an anointing, anointing to heal the brokenhearted and set the captured free, the prison without bars. I've heard this say many times, I don't know who said it, I know uh, J. John mentions it in his sermons quite a lot. The heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. So Jesus says he's come down to heal the heart and give us a new heart. He talks about the heart, heart, heart. He says many people, my name is on many people's lips, but their hearts are far from me. The Bible, the Proverbs says, as a man thinks from his heart, so he will be. It's all about the art. If I'm going to tell you now that I love my wife, I will go, I love my wife. I will touch my heart and say, I love my wife because I love her from my heart. The heart is problem. It's like a, it's like a stone. People tell us Jesus loves us, don't want to know that. They're only saying it because the heart's saying, right? The hearts have been hardened. And nobody knows why their hearts have been hardened. Some of them keep it a secret to the deathbed. Others will confess, and you know, there's a great saying, ain't there? A good confession's like a good puke. It might make a mess, but it's good to come out. <laughs> anyway, let's go. Let's take you on a journey. Oh dear. Uh, my name's Graham Swan. I'm 21. <laughs> All my lies are true. No, uh, my name's Graham Swan. I live in Loughborough. I've always lived in Loughborough. I was born on a council estate named Shelfort. Had a mum and dad who I will honestly stand here and say they love me. My dad suffered terrible, terrible depression. Used to have mental breakdowns. I would say that depression killed my dad. It just destroyed him, destroyed him, and destroyed him until uh, he died of terrible illnesses. He used to have uh, breakdowns and shave his head. He used to hurt himself and and uh, he used to talk to his dead dad who used to, who wasn't alive, but he used to, you know, have these terrible things in his head. His dad wasn't nice to him as a child. He beat him terribly. 
he suffered with his nerves. He couldn't even hold a cup of tea without spilling it halfway through to, from the kitchen to the living room. That caused a lot of problems in our house. And uh, my mum, you know, how do you cope? So you've got two sons, me and my uh, brother, who was three years older than me. And when I was about nine years old, my brother started hanging around with an older gang uh, and started doing house, house dwellings and, and street robberies and, and bringing a lot of trouble into the house and bringing the police into the house. And this stuffed me with insecurity. We used to have two rooms, a living room and a back room. And when the police used to come around, they used to put me in the back room to protect their son from hearing a load of uh, nonsense, what was going off in the world. But uh, that stuffed me with insecurities. And I believe that I wasn't loved. Now, that was a lie, but... When you believe it, it's true to you, isn't it? You know what I mean? If someone tells you a cow too many times, you believe it, don't you? And you won't even fit to get out the door. So if we tell ourselves so many times, you know, the Bible says that, uh, you know, if we say that, oh, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. How many times do we have to say it's hard until we convince ourselves it's hard? It becomes a truth. But the Bible says he will give us the word in Deuteronomy. It says, or oh, whatever that, it always name it hard. It's so many hard names, isn't it? But it says that uh, I will deliver you the word and it will be easy. So how many times do we have to say it will be easy, 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 until we convince ourselves it will become easy. But uh, I believed uh, I wasn't loved, so I'd go to school and people used to pick on me. They take my pocket money off me. I was a small, skinny kid. They take my pocket money off me and punch me and make me piggyback them and do these horrible, horrible things. They'd take it out of school and people, like the older kids from the estate, would see me get bullied and say, hey, there's a little clown there, let's go and bully him and all. So they started taking me up the outwards and I started becoming a victim of uh, torture. They'd tie me up, they'd whip me, they'd cut my penis with uh, Stanley blades. They uh, would rip my toenails out with pliers. Uh, they would tie me to oak trees off a swing and swing me off and whip me and, and do some terrible things to me. So by the time I was 10 years old, I wasn't wishing I was a fireman or a policeman or ambulance service or going to the army. I was praying to a so-called God that I, was, I would die. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't think of, I couldn't think of any joyful kid who used to take his bucket and spade and go to the seaside with his grandma and granddad. Them days had been robbed from me. They'd been stolen. I was very ill. At a very early age, and uh, because of the problems with my mum and dad and my brother, and by this, by this time, my brother had just been sent into a children's home in, in, in the early 70s. A lot of children, as soon as it caused any trouble, they'd be thrown straight into the care system. And my brother was one of them. I didn't know what to do. I used to cry myself to sleep every single night, frightened. I can remember running home from school one day, and... Uh, terrible... Oh, I thought I was uh, gaining you know, gaining some kind of victory because I was escaped the bullies that day. I was running home and somebody shouted me, hostile voice, I turned around. A guy standing there told me to come into his house. I knew I shouldn't have gone, but I was scared. I was 10 years old. I'd been bullied for the last two, six, seven months. I, uh, I'd been told a lot of things that I'd started believing about myself. That was useless. I, you know, nobody cared about me. I, I was believing that anyway. I thought my mum and dad didn't love me. And... Uh, I went into his house and he viciously sexually abused me. So for the next three years, over a thousand times, I was sexually abused. That causes an odd art. It causes a mixed up life. You know, you're going to hear like 
tonight, you know, Teen Challenge, I do some work with the lads in Teen Challenge and lots of rehab centers around. You've come tonight because you will be blown away by the glory of God. I know their story won't change your life. Your story changed your life. Your story, your own personal salvation with Jesus Christ. But it's good to be encouraged what Jesus is saying. Today I was uh, normally, they say to me, Swanee, you've got 10 minutes because now I'm going to talk for half an hour. But today, pastor says, Swanee, you speak for 10 minutes more. So today I, I shared a story at uh, Birmingham about Rachel's granddad. And times I go around the UK or anywhere I go, and they always go to me, why didn't you mention that story about Rachel's granddad? I was so disappointed. I was really hoping you'd share that. It's in my book. Uh, my book's for sale today. Uh, but it's a good story. So if I get a chance and I don't waffle on for so long, or waffle on or whatever that word is, I will, uh, I will, I will share. So, but anyway, my life by the time I was 13, it was a, a right mess. A right, right mess. And then I met a, a gang of lads who were fighters. And they stuck up for me and I became part of their gang. And very quickly, fear had planted a seed in me and I started making that fear grow. So anyone come near me, I'd attack them. I'd attack them with vicious, vicious venom. And, uh, and I was never a big lad. I was really small and skinny. But uh, people said I had an art of a lion. No, I didn't. I had fear. That was massive. And that fear would make me attack anybody and anything. I wasn't bothered about the, the size of the Goliath in the fight. I was more scared of the, the abuse that might all come with it. So just the subconsciousness would kick in and bang, I'd strike. And then I started drinking. I met this girl who was a lot older than me and she gave me, brought me food, uh, beer. And I thought I was great, you know. I thought I was a bee's knees and started uh, getting tattooed and and started uh, street robberies and started doing, uh, getting mixed up with firearms and, and drugs and alcohol and, and, and protection rackets and you name it. Anything that was dark, I was, in the, I was hiding in, in the middle of it all. And, uh, you know, life takes its toll on you. I can remember uh, when I was 17, I got a girl pregnant and uh, then I had this little girl and, uh, you know, I became a father. I never became a dad. I just became, I just, I just produced a child into the world. I didn't know how to look after her. Uh, God bless her. She's 32 now. She's a great girl. She's come to see me only yesterday. She just sent me a text while I've been here. But, uh, but she was only a little thing in arms, and, uh, and I went to prison. I missed the grow up. I missed the walk. I missed the first steps, the first uh, words. Look at my wife here. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's heartbreaking. I know I've got a big smile on my face when I'm saying this now, but you know, when you're in it, you're full of shame. You're full of guilt. You're full of anger. You're full of pain. You're full of misery. You're full of sadness. You're full of brokenness. And it just keeps bringing more of an hard heart. A hard heart. You don't care about humanity because you don't care about anything. And I just carried on and carried on and carried on. And I just jumped to when I was 26 years old. By that time, I was a stinking problem. Nobody liked me. I think the lads who hanged around me, well, I know now the lads who hanged around me, they only hung around with me because they were scared of me. They had to tread on eggshells with me because I'd flip at the slightest thing. Slightest thing. My heart was so hard. It was all about me. It's just what the devil comes to do. The devil used to 
be a lovely angel who praised his almighty, sovereignty, holy God. And he took his eyes off God and looked at himself. And he became self-confident until he became full of self-pity. And he wanted to be God. And he's fed that into every human soul. We're all full of self. And when we get full of self, we get very self-pity. And self-pity brings a hard heart. Always does, always has done. And it's a scheme that the devil's using today always. The minute we take his eyes off ourselves and look at Jesus, everything changes in our lives. Everything. But by the time I was 26, I was living on the streets. I had nowhere to live. I'd got nothing. I'd got two children in this world and I just welded myself bitter. I used to box and do all sorts when I was younger and I met this Irish family and he, one of the guys took me aside and their dad and says, you know, you're ruining your whole life. Come and stay with me. He sta- I stayed with him for a bit. He, earned, he gave me a bit of window cleaning and I earned a bit of money so I could go pub at night time. I met Rachel. Within 24 hours of meeting me, she must have had a, I don't know, everybody who ever known her, keep away from him is trouble. Everywhere I went, trouble followed me. I used to say to Rachel, it's not my fault trouble follows me. She says, that's funny, trouble don't follow me. So where is the trouble? But when you're self-centered, you tell people to shut up and talk the truth to you. You don't want to know the truth. Because the truth hurts. But it's also the truth that sets you free. And, uh, you know, Rachel gave me a go. I don't know why. She says, by the grace of God now. Flames God now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, you know, I'd love to say that our life was gorgeous because in one way it were. I loved her. She reunited with my children. We had children of her own. Uh, I try to forget that bit now, but uh, we, uh, she encouraged me to do what my granddad always wanted me to be, a tattooist. My granddad used to be in the Navy. He was covered from head to toe. He used to tell me stories, sit me on his knee and tell me stories of all his traveling and different tattoos, where they come from and all the rest of it. So I always had a little passion in my heart to be a tattoo artist. But I never believed in myself. But anyway, I've become one. And you know what I was doing? I was going on three holidays a year. I was driving the car I wanted to drive. I got money in the bank. I'd got a seatbelt on every single one of his five children. I was uh, going anywhere I wanted, spending as much money as I wanted. I was gaining the world and I was losing my soul. You know, in, in, in AA, it says, uh, you know, the man with the money says, I ain't got a drink problem because I've not got a money problem. I'd got a massive drink problem. It was massive. It was destroying my family. It was killing me and destroying my family. I'd got rosacea all over my body. I'd got psoriasis all over me. I'd got a purple nose. I was, uh, I looked a mess. I looked older. Well, I'd say I looked older then than I do now. The Bible says he restores your youth. <laughs> I don't know what, how many years younger, but, but everybody says, you know, you look a lot better than what I did. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, I know Teen Challenge lads, sometimes they bring how they looked and how they, how they look now. You know, sometimes you can't, say, you can't even say that's the same person. You know, the, the, the transformation is unbelievable. Anyway, we went on like this, and uh, as time went on, uh, the depression got that bad for me. 
suicide thoughts started coming into me, which is called an unsigned mind. You know, when we ain't got a sound mind, it's, what else do you do? I got that sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was in a prison without bars that much. I couldn't handle the depression no more. I was drinking every I was fighting all the time. I was trying to run a tattoo studio, be a, be a husband. Yeah, be a husband and be a f- dad. And Oh, boy, yeah. When you've had a mixed-up life and a massive violin of self-pity parties, the only way is the escape route is suicide. I was 40 years old, and I can remember going to the pub with a, one of my mates played in a ska and reggae band. He was a saxophone player. He'd got a brother-in-law who uh, had come from America, and uh, I went for a pint with him. And I, halfway through the night, he told me that Jesus had brought him to England. I thought, what? Obviously, I thought his cheese had fell, fell off its cracker. I thought, <laughs> what's this guy on about, Jesus? He's been brainwashed, you know what I mean? He's on about his intuition, and he's giving some made-up God a, all the praise for it. I just didn't get it. But anyway, he uh, said a few things, and I thought, you know, I can't deny you speaking the truth, mate. I really can't. I didn't know, I didn't know the scriptures of the Bible, you know. I didn't know anything, and... Uh, but I kind of liked him in his own little way, in his own little world. I liked him. A few days later, he knocked on my door and I looked out and I thought, oh, no, that crazy Christian's here. <laughs> and uh, and uh, anyway, he knocked on the door and I says, oh, come on in. He says, I'm not here to, to visit you. I've come here from a message from the Lord. He just says, did you know that the Lord's got an anointing on him? I says, has he? What's that got to do with me? He says, well, that anointing is to heal the brokenhearted and set the prisoner free. And he wants to heal your broken heart, set you, set you free from your prison, what you've been in all your life. Especially when you were 10 years old and you got sexually abused. I says, get out of my face while you still got breath. <laughs> he says, I'm only the messenger. And I says, well, are you lying? He says, my God, don't lie. And he just walked away. What do you do with that? How do you fight that? He didn't get in my head. People try and get in your head and it causes trouble. His words penetrated in my heart. The Bible says his word don't come back void and boy, it didn't come back void. Something penetrated in my heart and I stand here now and boast in his name. Something penetrated in my heart. I didn't like it, but it penetrated. I didn't want to accept it because it was all about me, not about him. And then I had to go and find him and ask him a little bit more about Jesus. Who is he? What are you on about? What's he do? What's this? What's that? What's the rest? What is he? Is he alive? Is he dead? What's going off? I was asking him more questions than angels ask. But I started asking him questions, and then one day I heard myself say, can I come church with her? And then I thought, what am I doing? I ain't even got a vow doing a conjumper. People like me don't go to church. What am I doing? But God knew what he was doing. He was penetrating the, the hard art. He was coming in at his speed. You know, I always say, God don't put 1,000 watts in 60-watt bulbs. He'd blow them up. He puts his power in you when you're in the right position. And that's mainly on your knees. That's the position God needs you. So he can penetrate his glory and goodness into you. But if you don't let the hard art go... He can't do much and just hold you. 
until you're ready to go a bit further into his kingdom. Then he starts putting thousand watts into thousand watt bulbs. When you're in the, in the right position, he puts the power and the glory into you so you can go out and speak his word. Because it's the word that sets us free. He is the word. Anyway, I went to church and uh, I didn't like it, quite honestly. It was all singing about this God and how great he were and everything else. And I thought, you muppets. <laughs> what about your wife and kids? Don't they come first in your life? Get a grip. What's up with you? So I went to church and I didn't like the God bit, but I liked the people. Now it's the other way around. I like God and don't like the people. <laughs> she made me say that. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with it. Because we've got to bring the word of God in. Oh, we've only been three minutes, haven't we? Uh, so I went to church and I didn't like it. So the next week I uh, bottled it and I said to Rachel, if you go to church, I'll come to church. She says, church? I don't want to go to church. I don't even know what you doing there. I said, oh, it weren't that bad. Anyway, we went and uh, we got there and I started doing the... (laughs) Making a joyful noise. And uh, I seen uh, the heart of stone. Start singing with you in a minute, mate. Keep praising. <laughs> the, uh, I've seen an odd art. For the first time, I've seen an odd art. Because I've seen something in me changing. And I said to my wife, did you like it? She says, I hated it. I thought, oh, no. I was hoping she said she'd like it so we could come again. And I thought, you sinner. No, I didn't. I didn't, but I'd seen an odd art for the first time in my life. I thought, oh, she's hard-hearted to this stuff. But I'm not, so I'm coming again without her. I wouldn't do no without Rachel. Rachel was something I was really overprotected with, too, too overprotected. I had to give it to the law. That was an odd thing and all, but that's a different story. But anyway, and uh, I went the next week, and uh, I just shut my eyes, and, and I didn't hear the pastor speaking, nothing. I didn't know the scriptures. I didn't know perfect love drove out fear. I didn't know wherever the light was, the darkness fled. I didn't know that it weren't flesh and blood we were fighting. I thought we always fought flesh and blood. I didn't know there was evil forces of this world that were destroying our souls. I didn't know none of it. I didn't even know there were God until that day. All of a sudden, a silence come on me. A peace that passes all of a sudden entered my body. I knew that there was a fear, a knot in my stomach, it was leaving me. I knew that fear was scared. I couldn't explain what, I'm, what I was thinking and what I was doing. But it not once did it hurt my heart. It was a miracle. Miracles uh, didn't hurt my brain either. Miracles are things that we, we ain't got no explanation for. They're not to do, you, can't give them not, you can't give it any knowledge. If you go to doctors and say, I'm you're healed of an heart attack, he'd just say, well, I can't, got no explanation. It's a miracle. A miracle is something that cannot be explained. And I had a miracle that day. I had a miracle. I had a perfect love that drove out fear, and I went home a new man. As soon as I walked in the house, I 
shouted upstairs, Rachel. I says, put the kettle on. I've got a long story to tell you. She went, ain't you going pub? I went, no. <laughs> so after she got herself off the floor, <laughs> I shouts up the stairs, Rachel, I've become a Christian. She says, what's a Christian? I says, I don't know, but I've become one. <laughs> and that's the truth. That is the truth. That's what I said. Anyway, I come downstairs and Rachel went, what's up with you? I says, what? I thought I'd grown wings. <laughs> Honestly, she was looking at me like I'd got an halo on my head. And she went, what's happened to you? I said, what do you mean what's happened to me? What's happened to me? She's making me paranoid. She went, come to, the, come to the mirror. I went to the mirror and my bracelet had left my face. My skin had cleared up. All because of the glory of God. All because of his sovereignty and his faithfulness and his, his grace and mercy. Hey, come on, man, I'm crying now. Tears of joy, eh? But, uh, but I want to get to the word of God. On that day, the Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 15, it says uh, Jesus went to the sheep's gate. That sheep's gate is called, I don't know what it's called. It, I can't even pronounce the word. It's, it says, Beth is something like that. Anybody know? Bethesda. 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 Whatever that is. Do you know what that means? It means the house of mercy. The house of mercy. Many people were there on that day of, in the house of mercy. They were cripples, paralyzed men, blind, ill health, depression, all the rest of it. And there was a man who was paralyzed. He'd been to the house of mercy many times. But what was different this day? Jesus was in the house of mercy. Today, Jesus is in the house of mercy. He goes to Jesus. He walks. He didn't walk up to Jesus, did he? Of course he didn't. He couldn't walk. Jesus walked up to him and he looks him straight in the eye and he says, uh, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? On that day in the house of mercy, Jesus asked me if I wanted to get well. I didn't have no head knowledge and I knew all about the darkness. I didn't know nothing about the light. I could explain to you all day long about the darkness. I couldn't tell you nothing about the light. When we come into his kingdom, all we want to know is about the light. Because every single one of us knows about the darkness since the day we were born. The pains and suffering the darkness brings into our lives. The heartaches and the hurts and the divorces and the kids growing up. And the nagging wives. Everything. But that day Jesus asked me if I wanted to get well and he's asking you guys, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What did the man reply? He says, uh, well, I, I, I do, mate. I do, right? yeah, I do. But every time I go to get down there, everyone gets in my way. I've got no one to carry me. How many times do we say we want to know Jesus a bit more, but my husband don't really agree with it? You don't know my workmates. You don't know 
how much they'll take the mickey out of me. I would take that off in a being well, but I've got a pride, a self-confidence to look after. Straight back onto yourselves instead of on him. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus give him an explanation or whatever that word is? He didn't even acknowledge what he said. He went to him, get up and walk. Stand up and walk. That guy just stood up. Jesus was telling him, told me that day, this sickness, he's got to leave your body. You're arranging to commit suicide. I've asked you if you want to get well. And now I'm saying to you, walk towards me. Get up from your paralyzed depression and walk towards me. He asks in the house of mercy every day, please walk towards me. He wants us to walk. The guy got up. Why did he get up? Because authority had spoken to him. Authority had spoken to him. And he gets his mat and he starts walking. Then the, for- the, the religious people, what are you doing? You're not allowed to walk on this day. What are you doing carrying that mat? This guy told me to get up and walk. Who? Do you know what he said? I don't know. I didn't know who told me to get up and walk on that day. I weren't having a relationship with Jesus. I didn't know who it were. I just knew the authority had told me to get up and walk. He didn't know who told him to get up and walk out of his paralyzed life. Come on. You don't have to know him. Do you know why? Because he knows you. He knows you. Jesus went to the cross because he knows us. The lads and girls are the prostitutes and the heroin addicts and the violent men. And when they come to me and say, I'm not worthy, I say, too right, you're not worthy. I don't tell them a lie. I don't say to them, you are worthy. You're worthy of God's love. You're worthy. They know I'm telling them a lie and they go away and say, I know I'm not worthy and they can't accept his love. But no, when you say to them, do you know what? You don't have to clean yourself up. You're not worthy, but he chooses to give it you anyway. Then there's something happens. You can take the free gift of salvation when you know deep in your bones because you know the truth and the truth will set you free. You are not worthy. You don't have to clean yourself up. I wasn't worthy of God's love, but he chose to give it me. I was still sticking glasses in people's faces at 40 years old. I'd have fought anybody. And he still chose to give me his salvation. He still chose to walk to a broken, hard-hearted man and give him a new spirit and a new heart. And that's what he did with that man that day. And this is why he's in the house of mercy today. Where did Jesus find that man the next day? Where he should find us in church. He found him at the temple with a thankful heart, a new heart, a grateful heart. Can you imagine how hard-hearted that man must have been? Everyone pushing by him to the pool. No one looking at him as a human being. He couldn't walk or run or have fun like most people have in life. He was crippled to a small world called a mat. And without Jesus, we feel like that. 
We all have barriers and people close us in and, and, and we have to look after loved ones with ill elves and, 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 and see loved ones die and, 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 and heartbroken people who, who haven't got fathers on Father's Day. He closes them in. And then when he sets us free, what did that man do? When he found out it was Jesus who healed him at the temple, he did what we should do. Go out into the world and tell them it was Jesus that healed us. Every one of us has got a testimony in it. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the words of your own testimony, the Bible says. Every one of us has got a story to be told. But do you know what the devil says? Your story ain't as big enough, as big as is. Who'd want to listen to your story? Do you know what? Sometimes big stories are not very good. People don't want to listen to big stories because they go, well, my story ain't been like yours and I feel terrible and all. But when you walk up to a person and you ain't had a massive story and you just tell them that you was feeling or not feeling secure and not feeling any joy in your heart. But Jesus gave me joy and he gave me freedom. Rachel's story is not like my story. She's not come from the background I come from. But I tell you what, the lads flock round and listening to her. Why? Because she's got Jesus to talk about. She's got freedom to speak his precious words. So today, Jesus is in the house of mercy. He wants us to come nearer to the kingdom. More and more and more. The Bible says we live in this world, but we don't belong in it. He tells us he wants us to have a new heart and new thoughts. He wants us to renew our minds. If I wake up in the morning and I've just gone to bed with a kiss and saying goodnight to everybody and probably praying over somebody's life and I feel so blessed, I can wake up in the morning feeling terrible. Nothing in my life's changed. And I can feel terrible. But I've learned. I don't focus on my emotions. I take my eyes off myself, look straight at him. And something supernatural happens to me. Something happens to me. The world puts tremendous problems on the human being. But Jesus is the one. Come to me who are burdened and I will give you rest, he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me and also trust in my Father. I am going to prepare an home for you. If this was not true, I would not tell you so. We've got an home to go to. Some of us have already gone. And this leads me to my last story. Rachel's dad, nine, no, Rachel's granddad, 93, hard man. I don't think an hard man who can go to toe-to-toe out of pub, I think that's a broken man. I think an hard man's an hard man who's hard with his wife, hard with his kids, hard with himself, hard with humanity. Why? Because he was born to be hard. Rachel's dad lived in Yorkshire. By the time he was 10 years old, he was ripping leaves off trees and eating them to stop the hunger pains. He was eating paper to try and stop that pain in his stomach. He was having to wear hand-down trousers and shorts and from his older brothers because he was so poor, really poor. By the time he was 10 years old, his dad told him, Today, son, you're a man and men don't cry. It's a big, tough world out there. Go and be part of it. But don't let the world break you. Be hard. Stand hard. Because you're going to have many, many problems in this world. Ten years old. 
By the time he was 14, he was working down the mines in the pit, not seeing daylight. He'd go early mornings, come out late night, give all his money to his parents just so they could eat. By the time he was 17, he was called up to the war. By the time he was 19, he was ordered to kill men. That makes you hard. Not only does it make you hard, it makes you emotionless. He was hard with his wife. He was hard with his kids. All his life, when he was 75, someone swore at his wife, and he went to the man's house, a young man, a big man, a big unit, and said to him, he got a baseball bat, no, a pickaxe sandal. He says, you talk to my wife like that again, and I'll put this straight over your head. The man says, do it. He put so many staples in that man's head, it was unbelievable, and he nearly killed him. He got arrested. They says to him, why on earth did you do that? He says, the man gave me a direct order. That's how uniformed and hard-hearted and tunnel vision he was. So hard, it was unbelievable. Anyway, 93. He took ill, very poorly. All of a sudden, never had no bad health and home. And then all of a sudden, he went to the hospital. And I took my Bible to tell him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd tell him all the stories about the prodigal son. I'd tell him about the sowers, the sowers and the seeds. I'd tell him all about the stories of the fishermen and the 5,000 fed and the miracles. And I says, the miracles, Bill, people who see miracles don't always believe. I've seen many people have been miracles. Do you know them, them people, they was dishing out all this fish and food and seeing all that miracle that day. And then the next day they had no faith when the storm come. So miracles do not let you make you believe. And I told him all of it. And then at the end, I used to say, do you want to know Jesus? Nah. His heart was so ardent. He'd say, I don't think Jesus would want anything to do with me, Swanee. I've not been that good. I says, that's a lie, Bill. That's a lie. That's the devil's lies. Jesus ain't come down to make good men, uh, bad men good. He's come to make dead men live. Anyway, I told him about Jesus on so many occasions. Ah, I didn't know that. Ah, I didn't know that. Ah, I didn't know that. Ah, we all had a Bible given it to us when we went into the war. Did you read it? Nah. Anyway, they found out that Bill had got two tumours on him, two big cancers. And uh, he was having to go down to operation because one of them were about the size of an orange. And if it exploded, it would have been painful. But because it was 93, they weren't quite sure if he... Uh, would live the operation, so they told us to say goodbye to him. But don't let him know that he might be saying goodbye. Give him a kiss. Anyway, the next day, 12 o'clock, he was doing his, uh, he was going for his operation. Me and Rachel was out training, was out running. And as I was running, I just, the Lord just come to me and says, go and pray for Bill. So I'm running and I says to Rach, the Lord's just spoke. She says, what? What's he say? I says, uh, he says, go and pray for your granddad. He says, it's 11 o'clock. We're in Loughborough. He's in Leicester. It's a 50-minute drive, and then you've got to find a car parking, and then you've got to get up to there. He's gone. It's finished. I says, why did the Lord tell me to pray for him then? She says, good point. So we went. And we went, and we got there. And it was so late when we got there. I don't know what time, you know. Getting on quarter to one, ten to one time. And we goes into the ward and 
The nurse looks at me and says, you come see Bill? I says, yes. Yeah. says, oh, it's your lucky day. His operation's been, what is it? Yeah, for two hours. I thought, oh, I know that. Straight away. <laughs> of course it is. So I get there and he's lying in his bed. And I sits on the bed anyway. How long you been here? <laughs> I says, I've just got here, Bill. I says, I was running this, running this morning, the Lord gave me a word for you. What's he want? <laughs> I says, I don't know, Bill, he just told me to pray for you. He went, get on with it then. <laughs> so I didn't want to impress him with theology. I just stuck my hand on his head. I says, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm here for. I can do my bit, you do the rest. We say this in Jesus' precious name, but I ask you, Lord, make sure you're with him throughout the operation. Amen. Rachel says, amen. Who walks out, Rachel says, what's that all about? I says, I don't know, Rachel, but the Lord does. That's that. A few hours later, I get a phone call off Rachel's mum. It's one of Bill's come out of the operating theatre and uh, he wants to speak to you. I says, well, what's, what's he want? I don't know. All he's been saying since he got out of that operation, I need to speak to one I need to speak to one I really need to speak to one want to speak to one I says, oh, Rachel, ain't he a nuisance? <laughs> so uh, I says, come on. So me and Rachel gets there, and I walks around the corner. As soon as I walks around the corner, I burst into tears. Why? Because I've seen the light of the Lord on him. The Bible says, wake up, sleeper. Raise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I've seen Christ shining on him. So I go straight away, sits on his bed. And this is to people who's lost their loved ones. This message is for all of you, but never give up the race. Listen to this. I sat on the end of the bed, and this nurse goes to me, are you his family? I said, yes, I'm his son. Straight away, jumped straight in. And she says, oh, did you know what happened during the operation? I said, no, what happened? says, well, we opened Bill up and there's no cancer in his body. I says, uh, praise his name. Praise his name, but that ain't what I want to tell you. I looked at Bill and I smiled and he went to me. Did you know Jesus is real? I thought, I've been trying to tell you that for ages. He says, uh, he says, Swanee. He says, when they put me under anaesthetic, Jesus come to me. I met him. I says, what did he do, Bill? He says, he held my hand. He held his hand and the sickness left his body. I don't know why Jesus heals some and, and calls people home. I don't know why people have to see their loved ones suffering all their lives. But stay in hope. Because we worship the living God. We worship the living God. He was risen. And he put his resurrection in us to lift us any time we're hurting. Any time we feel sick, he would tell us to get up and walk towards him. So my message today is thank you for Long Eaton, for inviting me and my wife. The book's on sale, but my message more than anything is do you know Jesus? Jesus in the book of John, chapter one talks about the word, the word becoming flesh, God coming to humanity. It talks about John the Baptist prophesying, testifying. 
And then the first words Jesus says, the first words he says in around verse 38, I think it is 38, he says, what do you want? What do you want? Jesus will say today, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want more freedom? Then come to him. What do you want? What do you want in life? Because the only thing you need is him. I ask you to bow your heads and we'll do a prayer. Then I'll ask the pastors to come back up because they know they cheat more than I do. Oh Lord, we come before you to tell you that we love you. Lord, when we start to praise and magnify your name, then it's not enough. Our hearts must bow down to you. Lord, if you've spoken to anybody today through me, I pray you speak to them and call them in. Those who have ears, Lord, let them hear. Lord, there's people that's going to be more broken than others in this room today. Lord, send them a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, if there's sickness in people's lives, send them healing, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Lord, if there's people still in prison and got strongholds of depression or drugs or alcohol or, or, or medication or anything and they don't want to be on it no more, give them the weapon, Lord, that sets the captured free and heals the brokenhearted. Holy Spirit, bring your sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty over this church. Rest on their souls, Lord. As we pray in Jesus' name. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Have your way, Lord. We invite you into the house of mercy today. The Lord is here to set us free. Praise him in your own way. Let him come to you more and give you rest. We really, we really thank um, Swanee for sharing this morning, don't we? He's sharing and bringing us the living, real, living Jesus Christ. Not just a thought, not just a good idea, not just something that someone's written about in a book, but the living Jesus who's alive today, alive through Graham's life. But he wants to be alive in your life and my life too. So this morning, you know, as Graham has shared his story, you might want to have a look at the book at the back and maybe speak to Graham before he goes uh, a little more. Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you come from another church, then have a chat with Graham perhaps. Um, you, maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not, you weren't decided, you're not sure. You're a good person, but you're not sure about this Jesus thing and what's it all about. Then what all we can say is, is that open up your heart and say to God, extend your hand towards God's hand and say, I want to give you my life. If that's you this morning that you're interested in that, then come and speak to myself or Andrew. We're going to be at the door this morning and we'd love to talk with you. We've got, I've got some literature that I could give to you about how you can know Jesus really, truly and personally. God bless you. Have a chat with us as you go this morning. Let's give a round of applause and we really appreciate... You guys for this morning. Thank you so much.